Well, thank you, Randy and Misty, for leading us in that worship together of our Lord. Psalm 96 says that we are to ascribe to the Lord the worship due His name, sing praises to Him, and that's what we certainly want to do as the people of God. Uh, This is a great day for our church, a great day for me as a pastor in light of the fact that before I was preaching to six people that I saw, and now there's a hundred here, which is a beautiful thing. That's the fastest church growth movement I've ever seen. <laughs> so I want to thank our governor for allowing that to happen. Um, well, this morning I'm going to make a slight adjustment to what I've been teaching. I was originally going to teach from Romans 14. I was speaking to Debbie this week and saying there was something on my heart that's compelling me to speak a little more pressing. And she said, well, let me know. And Thursday I said, well, I I still think I may be leaning towards Romans 14, but that may change. And of course that's changed. It's a doctrine that is spoken of very often in scripture. And it's actually very hard to miss if you read the scriptures at all. In light of the times that we are currently living in and through as believers. And as I look at the flow of humanity and human history. There's no place where this doctrine actually is more important than in society today and particularly in the church today. The doctrine was the centerpiece actually of Israel's entire relationship with God and the Bible declares that it should be in fact the very bullseye if you will of our own Christian lives. When You and I look out over the landscape of society today as we have been forced to really in the last several months. And even when we look at the evangelical church in our own society at large, sadly, this doctrine is mostly absent, sadly. In fact, in our nation, we have a Supreme Court. It seems to be getting better, but we have a Supreme Court that makes its rulings with disregard for God altogether the authorization of the murder of countless unborn children, the devaluing, in fact, the redefining of the family, and the highlighting of homosexuality, all because God is rejected. We have national leaders across the country in the same way who turn their backs on those who try to support the unborn and those who are downtrodden. There are groups of people calling themselves actually churches today who are endorsing behavior among their own leaders that do things that actually, when you read through Genesis, brought the destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're endorsing it. And the answer for all of this happening is rather simple. It's not a very difficult answer. You don't have to look very far. It's a rather simple answer. We live in a society that no longer fears God. People live as if there is no God. They may not say that they're atheists, but they live as if God does not exist at all. And part of the reason for that is because many churches have forsaken to even speak about the fear of God And they've replaced it with the fear of anything else, any kind of earthly entity. 
We were reminded just a couple weeks ago as Russ preached that Solomon at the end of his life said, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty. What? What is the whole duty of man? In the end of your life, Solomon, who tried it all, did it all, uh, sought for it all, sought for happiness in life and all kinds of things, at the end says, this is the whole duty of man. What is that, Solomon? To fear God and keep His commandments. But we don't find that at large supply today. Scarce. People are more concerned about what others think of them or what might happen to them than they do about what God thinks. And here it is, the sad reality of all of that. When you fear man, you forget God. When you fear man, you forget God. That's the sad reality. And that's what's taking place. God has been left out of the equation. God has been left out of what is happening and all that's going on. God has been removed from His rightful place. He has been pushed down. The leaders of our nation never knew God. There may be some, there are some who thankfully and gladly we understand who profess to know our great Savior But the majority, the majority of those who lead us do not know God. And that is a terrifying thing. And so this morning, I want to look at the doctrine of the fear of God. And I want to look at its importance for us as Christians in our own living. In fact, I titled this, Living in Fear and Why We Should. Living in Fear and Why We Should. So... Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. may not be a place that you thought we might go. You might say, well, if he mentions Acts, it might be Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira when they came before the church and lied through the Holy Spirit in them, kept back what they had promised, and God took their life right in front of all the people so that the church might fear. But no, that certainly would have instilled a certain fear. I want to go to Acts chapter 31 because it's a transitional verse. It's a verse that, that, that lies between the progression of the church coming from persecution under Paul or Saul of Tarsus at the time. He gets converted in Acts chapter 9. So prior to that, he's persecuting the church. He's running after Christians. He's always taking them and hauling them off to jail and doing all kinds of things against them. And then you have at verse 31, and following that in verse 32, and going on through Acts, you have Peter and his ministry to the Gentiles. And so Acts chapter 9, 31 is a window into the church, a window into which we get to look during a time of transition, time in which the church has been stretched. Notice what Luke tells us as he writes. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, so now you have the south, the middle, and the north, all the whole area of Israel, enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. That's a great, that's a great passage. 
Because right there, just in those few words, is included five different ways that the church is described in this transitional framework. Five ways it's being described. The church is at rest, it says. Right? It's at peace. That's the idea. It's being built up or edified. It's going on or walking in the fear of the Lord. It's walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it's increasing. It's multiplying. And so right there you have five positive outcomes. Five positive outcomes for the church as it was coming out of this time of intense difficulty. I think if I asked all of us, are these the characteristics we want to see as the character of our church, we would say, yeah, we want that in our situation. As we come through this time, we we want this to be our situation. I don't think there's any one of us who would not want that. There's none of us who would not want to experience peace, who would not want to be built up, who would not want to understand the comfort of the Holy Spirit and to grow. I don't think there's one of us who don't want any of those things. And all of this is the outcome of a time of very difficult turmoil in the church. But notice, notice that right in the middle of it all, right in the middle of it all is the reason for the other outcomes. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. Let me just ask us a question this morning. I've been flooding into my mind recently. Have you ever met anybody who described their church by those words? Have you ever met any Christian who will say, when you say, how's it going at the church? You'll say that you'll hear them say, well, we're walking in the fear of the Lord. No, we just don't hear that. We ought to. It ought to be our response. That's how we are to live. Did you notice? Notice right there in that verse, it says they are walking or going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that, that, that Luke would write it that way, that the Holy Spirit would lead Luke, carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Second Peter tells us the writers of Scripture are, that he would write it in the way he did, that he would put fear and comfort right next to each other. As if they're twins walking side by side. And what God is saying to us is that when we walk in the fear of the Lord... The Spirit of God uses that to eliminate other fears in our lives and to comfort us in the process. In other words, when we fear God, when the fear of the God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit is operating in us, in the church, when it's operating in us individually and when it's operating in the church collectively as we are living by that, the Lord brings about growth. But it says, it continued to increase. They were multiplied. 
How many self-help church growth books have you read in the last year, two years, three years, five years that have mentioned that for church growth strategy? They don't, they don't talk about that. They talk about programs and strategies and how to make things happier. You realize the word here, multiplied, they were, they were increasing that word. It might say multiplied. They continue to be multiplied or they continue to increase or they continue to grow. That word is an action word. It's a verb. It's an action word. And it simply means something other than the church was bringing about the growth. The church wasn't bringing about the growth. The church wasn't using techniques and modifications and things like that in order to make it grow and to bring and fill the seats up so it would increase its budget line so that it could do more of that kind of stuff. The church wasn't doing any of those things. What the church was doing was fearing God. They were fearing God, and the Holy Spirit blessed that and used that to give them boldness so that they would go out and share the gospel, and Christ multiplied the church in the world. That's what they were doing. And so here in Acts, the church is coming out of a time of persecution, and yet it is described as going on in the fear of the Lord. It's obvious today, I mean, for all of us. We turn on the TV, we live the last several months of our lives, we look at the world. Today it's clear that the church is in a time of difficulty. Some might even say persecution. But the question we have to be asking ourselves is whether we are going to walk in the fear of the Lord. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we going to walk in the fear of the Lord? Or are we going to walk and carry our lives in the fear of other things? That's the question we're here to ask ourselves this morning. The doctrine of the fear of God, sadly, has been relegated to the bottom of the list when it needs to be at the top of the list. And for many, even many Christians, it's been completely removed. That can't be. That can't be, folks. We cannot be as Christians those who do not fear God. And so this morning, I want to call our attention to consider this doctrine, both in our lives and in the church as we begin to gather again. Here's my proposition for this morning. I want, to, I want to ask and I want to try to answer, or at least give us a context for answering three different questions. What is the fear of the Lord? What is it? Why must we live by it? And then how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate it? What is it? Why must we live by it? And how do we cultivate it? So let's first then think about what it is. What is the fear of the Lord? We talk, some people talk about it. We hear of it sometimes. Well, there are at least two types of fear that we can think about. I, when I was in seminary, wrote a paper on the fear of the Lord. There's two types of fear. One is a terrifying, paralyzing fear. That's one kind of fear right? It's sometimes we refer to it as a dread or, a, or a, a sense of terror that we might have for something. 
When you, when you are afraid of a person or, or you're afraid of some kind of circumstance or some kind of thing that's happening to you, it's a, it's a, it's a fear actually that is the character and what characterizes the ungodly and unbelievers. Paralyzing. Terrifying fear. That's not the kind of fear that God wants in His people. And there are a whole lot of examples of that paralyzing fear in the Bible. Matthew 25, 25. The parable of the the, the, the servants who were given something to go do and they were to use it for the glory of God. In Matthew 25, 25, there was one who said, one servant who said, I was afraid and I went away and I hid the talent in the ground. I was afraid. That's, that's the word. He was terrified. He, he knew he'd been unfaithful to what God had called him to do and he was terrified. He was paralyzed by fear. Of course, we understand Genesis, Adam and Eve were both afraid in that paralyzing kind of fear when they sinned against God himself. That's the kind of the fear that the ungodly have when they experience judgment. Same kind of fear of judgment is a fear that belongs to the unbeliever, this paralyzing kind of fear in which they know they've done something wrong. But for the Christian, it's not like that. We studied it, right? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that should wipe away, though, that kind of paralyzing fear. Because we are in Christ. We are enveloped in the the, the relationship, the unity, the the. Uh, the, the reality of being in Christ. That's not the kind of fear that Luke's talking about here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, this paralyzing fear. That's not what, he, what he's talking about. They, they weren't walking in that kind of fear. No, they were walking in the second kind, that awe and reverence kind of fear, the fear of those who know God, the fear of the redeemed, if you will, if we could say it that way. Now, when we say awe, we're not talking about the, the overused and now completely misused word, awesome. That's so overused. We use it to describe pizza or something we like. No, this is awe. The, the, well, this is describing the awesomeness of God, the, awe, the, the kind of character of God in which we see, and it's awe-striking. We're talking about Him in respect to His majesty, God in respect to His holiness, God in respect to His power, God in respect to His glory. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the awesomeness of God, like Psalms 5 verse 7 says. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence for you. That's the kind of fear we're talking about. The word reverence there is the Hebrew word yirah, which is the word for fear. Fear. Exodus 14.31 Put it this way, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. There's the word again. 
They had reverence for the Lord. And here's their, here's the response. And they believed in the, in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They feared the Lord. They had a reverence for the Lord and they believed. And so the fear that, that, that Luke is talking about here in Acts chapter nine expresses itself in awe. And an awe, a reverence that produces belief. It reveals itself in trusting. And so in Exodus, the, the Israelites recognized God's power. They recognized his sovereignty. They recognized his true holiness and that he is true, that he is the living God. And that proper fear manifested itself in belief. And in fact, Acts or Exodus chapter 15, which begins right after verse 31 of Exodus 14, both Moses and Israel sing a song. <laughs> this is the response. They fear God, they believe God, and they want to sing to God. They, they want to praise who God is, and they sing praises to the Lord, and they praise Him for His salvation. They praise Him for His majestic power, His greatness, His excellence, and His strength. So the all we're talking about is one that gives us this sense of wonder that causes us to believe. We tremble before God as we contemplate our finiteness and His infiniteness. Several years ago, 20 years ago now, I think it was, my wife and I and the kids drove across from California going to Ohio. We stopped in Arizona and we stopped at the Grand Canyon. And as you look across the Grand Canyon at that massive hole in the face of the earth, there's a sense of awe that you have. It is massive. You're overwhelmed by its hugeness and your smallness. And you foolishly pick up a stone and try to throw it and reach the bottom of the canyon and it drops off and you haven't even gone a portion of the edge. It's massively huge. That's all. That's how we ought to be when we gather together. And we come together as God's people. And we live each day of our lives, regardless of the circumstances. We ought to have that kind of awe for who God is. And yet today, society today and Christians today seem to have lost that sense. It seems as if the goal today, particularly in many churches, is just be relaxed. Don't worry about it. Don't worry how you come to God. Don't think about how how you come. It doesn't matter. That seems to be the mantra today. And in one sense, there's a trueness to that. And yet that trueness can't be removed so much that it causes us to be so relaxed that we have no awe for God. Churches are getting rid of pulpits. They're removing any sense in which there's some kind of severity to worship. They're removing all of the age-old theological hymns. Worship services today are designed to just remove fear when a right fear is to be exemplified. 
In fact, did you know Revelation, we studied Revelation, remember Revelation 4 and 5? Revelation 4 and 5, the throne room and the scene in heaven is going to be that when we're gathered around the throne, we are worshiping out of fear. But sadly today, fear of God is avoided. And so you know what else is avoided when you don't fear God? The worship of God. When you don't fear God, you don't worship God because Psalm 147.11 says the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. So a worship service where there is God-fearers is a worship service where Christ is being magnified, where God is pleased. Like Jerry Bridges wrote some years ago, there was a time when committed Christians were known as God-fearing people. It was a badge of honor, he said. But somehow, somewhere along the line, we lost it. Unquote. It's true. You see, when was the last time you heard somebody describe their church as a church that's walking in the fear of the Lord, but also say, when was the last time you heard a Christian describe their life as a God-fearer? A God-fearer. That's language we don't even use today. In fact, it's just the opposite. It goes even farther. Today, those who live as God-fearers are derogatorily derided as Bible thumpers. People who are just Jesus freaks, you're over the top. Sometimes you're even said you don't understand grace. I scratch my head at those things and say, but that's not how God described Job. That's not what that's not the description God gave to Lucifer himself, to Satan himself, when he said, Hey, go to my servant Job. That's how he described him. He described him as a man who feared him. Isaiah chapter eight, that's how Isaiah describes Christ. A God fearer. how Noah's described in Hebrews. You see, we need to ensure that we're described that way. We're God-fearers. We're God-fearers. We're a church that walks in the fear of the Lord. That's what we are. We're those who have an awe for God, and we believe Him, and we live like Christ because of it. So, so to fear God is not to have a dread of God. It's not to have this paralyzing uh, immovable fear that causes us to to just stand still or causes us to hide from God. No, the fear, the right fear of God ought to cause us to live soberly, ought to cause us to live as Christ lives, ought to cause us to live entrustingly of God in everything. That's why Luke said it in Acts 9.31, the church is going on in the fear of the Lord. That's what's happening when we understand what Christ has done for us. That's what happens to us when we truly understand what Christ has done for us and that you belong to Him. You know what you do? You delight in Him. You rest in Him. And you let the worry go. You have no fear of judgment. 
In fact, Martin Luther called this kind of fear a family fear. A filial fear. He used Latin. It was a family fear. That's the idea. It's the kind of fear that a child has for his mom and dad. Why? Because of the love and respect that they have for their parent, they seek to bring them joy. They, they want to do what's right, and they have a fear of displeasing them. That's what we parents need to be helping instill in our children. Helps them learn what the fear of God is like. We should fear displeasing God. That's a healthy fear. That's a healthy fear. It's part of our spiritual growth. Our world is sick with fears, man. Look around the world. Full of all kinds of fears. Look around our country. It's all driven by fear. But they're all the wrong fears. People are fearing all kinds of things. They're all the wrong kinds of fears. You ever looked at a common list of phobias in our world? The media, our media loves to promote two of them. Homophobia, Islamophobia. Two of their favorites. But there's all kinds of others. Fear of spiders, small spaces, the fear of germs. Misophobia, that's what it is. Thanophobia, the fear of death. Carcinophobia, the fear of cancer. Bibliophobia, Debbie, I'll hate this one. It's a fear of books. Did you realize there's phobophobia? Fear of being fearful? How does that work? How does that work? Seems like a cycle you're stuck in. It's like having your car in reverse and drive all at the same time. It's going nowhere. And fear is something people want to avoid. It's something people want to get rid of in their lives. That's what they want to do. Just get me out of this place. I don't want to be fearful anymore. And you can look to the world. You can find all kinds of worldly resources that try to help dispel fear. But none of those techniques, none of those things are ever going to help completely. Why? Because it is only when you fear God that you will fear nothing else. The fear of God is the fear that drives out all other fears. Fear of God is the one fear that everyone is to pursue. It's the one fear we are to all strive after. It's the fear that we ought to daily long for, that to hold on to. And when we exercise that fear, all the other fears just go away. Listen, you cannot hold on to the fears of the world and have your heart controlled by the fear of God. Cannot hold on to the fears of the world and have your heart controlled by the fear of God. It is impossible. You cannot have two rulers. So what is it? What is the fear of God? It's reverent awe. It's reverent awe that shows itself in belief. And belief that therefore practices in a life that keeps the commandments, fears offending God. 
So why must we then fear God? Why must we fear the Lord? Well, there's a few reasons. First, it's commanded. It's commanded. Ecclesiastes 12, we mentioned it already. Right? Solomon at the end. Everything had been tried. The best is to fear God, keep His commandments. It's commanded for us. We are to fear God. It's all over the Scriptures. The Bible continually commands the people of God to fear God. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. What does the Lord require of you? To fear God? Let's fear God. 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Revelation 14, verse 7. Fear God. And give Him glory. Why? Because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. It's commanded of us. So where is that? Where is that fear today? I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this stuff, convicted in my own heart and asking myself that question. Where is that fear? We are called to fear the Lord. This is our whole duty. Part of our worship. It's how we worship. We worship from a heart that fears and glorifies God. And we're going to continue to worship Him like that way, continually in the glories of heaven. So it's commanded. It's commanded. But also we should fear God because there are consequences if we don't. There are consequences for us as Christians if we don't fear God. In other words, the absence of fearing the Lord will have a direct effect on the way we live. Let me say that again. The absence of the fear of the Lord in our lives will have a direct effect on how we live. First, where there is no fear of God, guess what? There is no salvation. You cannot be saved apart from the fear of God. It's impossible. Romans describes the unrighteous as having no fear of God in their eyes. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you don't have a fear of God, how in the world will you ever go to Him and ask for Him to save you? You don't fear His judgment. There's no need for you to have a Savior. You don't think you need one. But the second consequence is where there's no fear of God, there's no sanctification, there's no holiness, there's no growth, there's no practical growth in your Christian life. John Murray said years ago, quote, the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness, unquote. The fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness, 
Proverbs 14.2, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. But he who is devious in his ways despises him. Holiness, holy living is a product of the fear of the Lord. This was the church in Acts. They were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Listen, your soul is never quieted. Your conscience is never silenced when you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because you're always wondering, am I obeying or am I not? Should I be doing this? Maybe I'm not doing this. Your conscience is always ringing. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. You're not hearing still, small, quiet voices. I hope not. If you are, we need to talk. No, when there's no fear of God, there's no sanctification. And I've said it before, number three, where there's no fear of God, there is no worship of God. Where there's no fear of God, there is no worship of God. The Pharisees were driven by a fear, but it wasn't a fear of God. It was a fear of men. Their prayers were just words because they wanted to appear as if they were holy, and they prayed on the street corner so that the prayers would be heard. And their entire lives were, were a joke because of that. In fact, the word Pharisee is synonymous with the word hypocrisy and hypocrite. Jesus rebuked them strongly. So you can fear a lot of things in the world and never be worshiping God. Number four, where there's no fear of God, there's great fear of man. Where there's no fear of God, there is a great fear of man. Instead of seeking God's approval, what are you doing? Seeking man's approval. Ananias and Sapphira, that's what they wanted. Instead of seeking to do the will of God with a pure heart, instead of you having lived faithfully and doing that, you're worried about succeeding and being faithful in the eyes of men. Instead of fearing offending God, you ensure that you avoid offending people with the truth of God. Instead of fearing God, you fear the dangers and the things of this world. And you operate and carry your life under those fears rather than in fearing God. So what do you fear more? That's the question. What do we fear more? Here's Jesus' answer. Here's Jesus' answer to that dilemma, to that question. What am I going to fear? Here's Jesus' answer. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, Matthew 10, verse 28, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's, there's God's answer. You want to fear? Fear God. Don't worry about those other things. Stop fearing man, start fearing God. Of course, we could go on to a lot of things. We could have a whole list of consequences. What are the benefits? What are the benefits of fearing the Lord? I'll just name several verses from Proverbs because we could walk through Proverbs all day long and find these. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And see, until we understand who God is, and until we develop a reverential fear of God, we cannot have true wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, some of you young people are sitting here today and your parents give you instruction and you just dust it off. As if you know better in all your 20, 22 years of wisdom on this earth. You dust it off. Guess what? The Scriptures call you a fool. You're a fool for doing that. Listen to the wisdom of your parents. If you feared the Lord, you'd do that. True wisdom only comes from rightly understanding who God is, that He's holy, that He's just, that He's righteous. Solomon says that only a fool rejects that. Therefore, a fool doesn't fear, doesn't fear God. And so according to Proverbs, if you don't fear God, you're a fool. So knowledge is one result Two, wisdom, wisdom, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see that none of us are wise until we fear the Lord. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. Salvation is the gun crack. Now you begin to fear the Lord. It's the starting line. The gun's gone off. So if we have no fear of the Lord, we haven't even begun to acquire wisdom. Another benefit is we hate sin. We hate sin. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate, it says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Survey your heart. Survey your life. How much cultivation and love and dabbling with evil is there. Another, another benefit, prolonged life. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So you got knowledge, you got wisdom, you got hatred of sin, you got prolonged living. Proverbs 14, verse 27 tells us protection is in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. There's peace, Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that the one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Some of us toss and turn all night in our bed because we're worried about all kinds of things we should not be worried about. We're fearing all kinds of things we should not be fearing. There's blessing, Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 31 says how a woman can be godly, right? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she'll be praised. You can find out all kinds of things that might make you beautiful, but the best thing that will make you beautiful is the fact that you fear the Lord. 
There's goodness of God in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 31, verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. How great is your goodness? You've stored it up. There's storehouses full of the goodness of God for those who fear Him. Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, that there's sanctification in fearing the Lord. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, how? In the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, sanctification. Growing. So the fear of the Lord and sanctification go hand in hand. No fear of God, no growth. Why would we want to live any other way? So how does the fear of the Lord manifest itself in our life? Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching and you say, I, I, I don't even come close to where I need to be when it comes to the fear of God in my life. I don't even come close. Can I just, I know I'm not supposed to, but can I just shake your hand and say, thanks for admitting that because I'm not even close to the fear of the Lord either. Not close to where I need to be. None of us are alone in that. None of us are isolated and say, oh yeah, here I am, I've arrived. No, none of us are there. The fear of God is like all the other spiritual disciplines, right? We wake up and we go, man, I sure could do better at that. We never feel like we've done it enough. We never can feel like we practiced it enough. We should never feel like our fear of God is where it should be. It's always striving Something we're growing in. The more we grow, the more fruit we see. So if you want to measure how much fear of the Lord you have, then get into your Bible and look at all of those passages that speak about the fear of the Lord. Go through all of them and how they manifest themselves in the lives of God's people and use that as a, as a board for how you can grow. It's too many to mention. Too many even go through. Get a concordance, go on your computer, search the fear of the Lord. You'll find a boatload of them. So how do I cultivate the fear of the Lord in my life? One is the word of God, right? That's the first thing. That's the most important. The word of God. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, right? Moses talking to Israel. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. Why? So that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. The word of God. I want them to hear what I say, God says, so that they will learn to fear me and that they will teach that to those who come after them, their children. That is their importance. That's their duty. The people were to be taught to fear God. God is the one who teaches us to fear him. We go to the Word of God, and when we understand who God is, we are in awe of who He is, and we believe Him, and we walk circumspectly because of that. Listen to what it says in Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 18. 
Look what it says. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Here they are at Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet God. They're, they're now hearing this going on. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Verse 19 says, Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourselves. We'll listen to you, but let not God speak to us lest we die. We'll listen to you, Moses. Okay, we get it. We'll listen to you. We don't, we don't want God to speak to us directly because we think we'll die. And here's what Moses says to the people. Don't be afraid. That's, there's that paralyzing fear. Don't have that paralyzing fear, that fear that causes you to hide. No, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you might not sin. Don't be afraid of that. Don't let that paralyze you. Don't let that sense of God's judgment paralyze you and go make you immovable. No, that ought to be the motivator that you live a pure life. God spoke that way. God showed that way. We look at the things in Scripture and we go, wow, I can't believe God would snuff out two people right there in front of the church. In Acts chapter 5. And yet it says, and the people feared Him. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to fear Him that we might live for Him. You see, how can we be in reverent fear of a God we do not know? Not knowing God through His Word is insufficient to produce holy living. You cannot just remain distant from the Scriptures and think that you're going to grow in Christ. It's not going to happen. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, man, I'm not a God-fearer, I can certainly tell you that. I, I can confidently say... I'm not a God-fearer. Well, I'm here to say, if that's you, and you're confidently saying you're not a God-fearer, then I'm saying to you, then the Word of God is not a regular part of your life. Because the Word of God causes our hearts to fear Him. That's how to cultivate it. Second way is through prayer. Prayer. Be in the Word of God. Be praying. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Verse 2, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Gave many alms to the Jewish people and what? Prayed to God continually. Prayed to God continually. John Bunyan wrote a book on the fear of God. He said, quote, a prayerless man, oh, prayerless man, you do not fear God. You would not live like a swine or dog in the world as you do if you feared the Lord, unquote. So prayer is one of the tools that God uses to create fear, fear of Him cultivates fear of him in us. Psalm 86 verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
I know many of us pray. The question I'm asking is, what are we praying? What are we praying? That God would cultivate that, that God would unite our heart to fear his name. Thirdly, meditation. Randy has said to us many times in his preaching and announcements and other times he has said to us what A.W. Tozer has said. He's quoted this many times, quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, unquote. That simply says that our view of God is reflected in our fear of God. It's really what that's saying. And sadly, today's Christianity has brought God down to man, distorted who God is. God is nothing more than a heavenly helper, runs around helping you when you need him, but if you don't need him, just leave me alone. Listen, if our problems are too big for God, then our God is way too small. You want to see the power of God so that we might fear Him? You want to see it? Then look at the cross. Fix your eyes on the cross behind me, the picture. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That is awesome power. It's only because of Christ and what He accomplished on Calvary that any of us have access to any kind of holiness, any kind of majestic, awesome, powerful, righteous, omnipotent God power. It's only through the death of Christ, only through the resurrection of Christ that sin has been defeated no other way and that we have forgiveness. Forgiveness that's available if you'll repent of your sins. So here's the question. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Came in today, came in from the world, came from your home, came from your daily activities. You're going to go away from here. You're going to go back out into the communities. Do you fear God? Do you really fear God? Or do you fear what's happening in the world? What's going on around us? Is what's happening around us paralyzing you? Is the desire of your heart to fear Him more? To grow in your fear of the Lord? You see, God wants us right here like it is in Acts chapter 9. He wants us to walk in the fear of Him. He wants us as a church. He wants us collectively as a body of Christ to walk in the fear of Him. If you've never repented of your sins, then you don't fear God. If you don't believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're an unbeliever. Paul said in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the description of an unbeliever. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Is that you? You see, you may never get another chance to get right with God as the chance God's given you right now. Right now. You may never get another chance. 
If you die without Christ, you will die and be separated from God in hell forever. Forever. You will either fear God now or you will fear Him later. The fact is, all men will fear God. Better fear Him now in a time of mercy than to fear Him in a time where judgment is upon you. Because then it's too late. Brothers and sisters, listen. Let's be a church. Let's be a people. Let's be a Christian. Where we are described by these words. We are people who walk in the fear of the Lord. Let's be a church that is known as people who are God-fearers. We are God-fearers, not man-fearers. Now let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the fear of you. Forgive us, Lord, in your grace and mercy through Christ for the reality of not fearing you. So often we fear the things of this world, especially in the times that we're living in now. We fear the things of the world. We see turmoil all around and on the streets. We hear people spewing all kinds of hatred. We see constantly and hear this constant barrage of information about sicknesses and death and all that's going on. We're sometimes very confused. You are not. All that we would fear you, all that we would be known as God-fearing people, those who continually return to your word to know you, that we might walk in the fear of you, being comforted by the Spirit, that you would not only cause us individually to grow, but as a corporate body, that we would grow together in unity as we grow in our understanding of truth. Lord, use us, not just today, but this week, long as it we may be give us wisdom according to your word and help us to be examples of jesus christ the world that is so fearful in christ's name we pray amen